I'm Gabby. Thanks for joining me today for another episode of the Happier Life Project, brought to you by free mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self, in partnership with the Priory Healthcare. Now, in today's episode, as part of our Relationship Month, we are zooming in on narcissists, narcissistic abuse and toxic relationships. Trigger warning, first of all, during this podcast, in the conversation, we do talk about narcissistic abuse, so please do proceed with caution and care. Some common traits that a narcissistic partner is likely to have include a sense of entitlement or superiority, lack of empathy, manipulative or controlling behaviour, a strong need for admiration, focusing on getting their own needs met, often ignoring the needs of others, higher levels of aggression, and difficulty taking feedback about their behaviour. Narcissistic personality disorder, the clinical term given to narcissists, is not exactly black or white. For those who are lower on the disorder scale, that might look like they're very selfish and entitled. However, those who are at the other end of the scale are morally and emotionally flawed individuals. They are cruel, uncaring, incapable of feeling empathy and compassion for other people, but who hide behind the mask of an attractive and charismatic person. Now, you might be thinking at this point, hang on, I know some people like that. I've dated some people like that. I know I did. Thankfully, today's guest does a great job at defining the difference between someone who is really self-absorbed and full of themselves, basically a bit of a dick, versus a narcissist. She also explains how toxic people that bring toxicity into their relationships are not necessarily narcissists and how it is possible to free yourself from a toxic relationship or narcissist even when the reality seems impossible. Dr. Jamie Zuckerman is a global narcissistic abuse expert and licensed clinical psychologist who coaches both men and women who are experiencing narcissistic abuse in their current relationships and for those who have experienced this type of abuse in the past. She has many other strings to her bow as you are about to hear, but rather than repeat myself, let's jump in and meet her. Ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Hi, Dr. Jamie Zuckerman, or as you are more commonly known, I suppose, Dr. Z. Welcome to the Happier Life Project. Thank you for having me. Do I call you Dr. Z? Is that the best? Sure, that's fine. Yeah, (laughs) whatever is easiest. Cool. Okay. Well, a bit about you. You're a licensed clinical psychologist, relationship coach, and a national expert in narcissism and narcissistic abuse. You're also an influencer, a mental health influencer with nearly 100,000 followers on Instagram, which is absolutely staggering. I don't quite know how that happened. <laughs> well, clearly there's a need for your um, yeah. your advice. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious on your journey in terms of, in your work as a licensed clinical psychologist, specializing in the treatment of adults I believe more women than men um, with mood disorders anxiety and relationship stress 
Did that all come first and then you started to become a real expert in the subject of like narcissism and narcissistic behavior? Were you always really fascinated to get into the mindset of a narcissist? Did it come from um, previous experience yourself that you wanted to help others? I'd love to know how you became an expert. Sure. Yeah. So it happens after the fact. So I had always worked with primarily adults, like you said, and anxiety and depression. I will say I was always fascinated by personality disorders in general, mm. um, by in terms of how they developed and how they manifested later in life. I always just found that interesting. So that being said, I think when I started working mostly in private practice, I would say this is when this happens, but um, I tended to see mostly women just because that's the the population that I was getting. Mm -hmm. And there was a select group of women who would come in and it really, the way they would describe their marital situation or their family situation was very similar, very, very similar and similar in a very unique, nuanced way. And over time, you know, I, I started realizing that there really was a need for this because what they were presenting with was narcissistic abuse that had, they had no name for it. They had no idea what it was. They knew, they knew it was a different type of abuse because, you know, we can talk about this, but toxic relationships and toxic, you know, all abuse is toxic, obviously, but mm -hmm. not all abuse is narcissistic abuse. And so there's a very distinct pattern that happens with narcissistic abuse. And so I started seeing this more and more. Mm -hmm. And um, I realized there was a lot of people who didn't know what it was. A lot of people had the, 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 you know, the idea that narcissism was, you know, you're full of yourself and you love yourself. And right. yes, that's part of it, but it's, it's a very small part of it. So from that in practice kind of spiraled into this, you know, this realization that there really was a need mostly for education on this and then also helping people specifically with that. Mm. So in terms of relationship stress and mental health, narcissist abuse is, is really up there then. It's something that you see a lot. Yeah, I mean, now it's biased, right? Because I, because I specifically will get people like this, but it is way under I mean, I know it's way more underdiagnosed. You mentioned a lot of people don't know what narcissistic abuse is, so therefore they don't know that they're experiencing it. And we're really focusing on romantic relationships for the whole month of November. So, in terms of through that lens, what is narcissistic abuse? Yeah, so narcissistic abuse is different than a toxic relationship. So I always say all narcissistic abuse is, is a toxic relationship. Not all toxic relationships are narcissistic abuse. So mm. it follows a very distinct pattern. So in the beginning, you will likely have, we can get into this in more detail, the love bombing stage, right, where they are um, courting you, but really just, you know, it's very quick. It almost feels like a tidal wave. Like it's too good to be true. You found your soulmate and they've been waiting for you their whole life and they love you. They've never felt like this before. And if you don't know the red, the red flags of this, any one of us, it doesn't matter what you do for a living, how smart you are, how much money you have. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Anybody is susceptible to this because who wouldn't want that? Right. Who wouldn't want to feel that way? You have somebody who's telling you, you're beautiful. You're amazing. I just feel it. We connect where, you know, it, this is different and it's very fast. It's very quick. 
you spend a lot of time together, very quick, constant communication. It's not organic growth, which most relationships should be. Now, I know there's people listening. They're going to say, well, my relationship started out really hot and heavy, really fast, and we're soulmates, and we're great, and we've been great. That's wonderful, but you're probably like 0.0001% of the people who experience this. It's lavish gifts, vacations, flowers to the office all the time. Mm. Um, It doesn't sound very abusive yet. (laughs) No, and that's the tricky thing is that it's not. It feels amazing. What happens is you get so sucked into this, understandably so, and then it starts to switch. Little subtle things. And it's very subtle in the beginning because the whole point of the love bombing is not because they think they love you. The whole point of the love bombing is a very calculated, purposeful plan to get you sucked into the relationship, almost like a drug to get you addicted. So it's very calculated. So people say, well, didn't they love me in the beginning? Or I just want to get back to that person that I knew in the beginning. But that that's the problem. That person wasn't them. That was an act they were putting on to get you sucked in so they can occasionally throw this back at you to kind of keep you stuck. So mm. what happens then is it slowly starts to decompensate things, you know, you know, your, your friend from college, there's something about her. This is your best friend for, for years, let's say. I just, there's something about her I don't trust. You don't see that, you know, or is your mom always that controlling? They're very intrusive. You really should put up some boundaries. And so there's these little things and you've trusted them so much because the other thing they do is they make you feel super comfortable and safe and vulnerable early on. So you tend to tell them a lot about yourself and they store that. They store your vulnerability. So later on, they can kind of use that against you. Like, you know, you're crazy. I'm not your dad or, you know, you're nuts. You think I'm cheating. This isn't, I'm not, you know, I didn't do what your dad did to your mom, that kind of stuff. And so this slowly starts to happen and you don't realize it because you trust them and you believe them. And before you know it, mm-hmm. you're isolated from family and friends, which is purposeful. So you can't tell anyone about the abuse, but also what narcissists will do is they will gaslight you, which isn't just disagreeing with what you say, right? It's making you doubt your reality so much by telling you that didn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. You're wrong. That didn't happen that way. You're crazy. You know, they'll say, it's something you show them a picture in their phone that they were texting another woman. I didn't do that. <laughs> yes, you did. It's right here. It wasn't me. And it's so bizarre and so almost crazy. It is. It's crazy making that you start to doubt your own reality, that you then depend on the narcissistic partner to define your reality for you because you feel like you have just absolutely lost your mind. It becomes very, very confusing. And then there are a lot of abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse. It's, it's very, very ugly. Wow. What are some of the common sort of traits, if you will, of a, of a narcissist in terms of mm-hmm. personality and behavior? What sure. should we maybe be aware of? So in romantic relationships, signs and symptoms of a, of a narcissist would be in the beginning, like I said, they're very over the top. It's like in excess. Mm. I always say if it feels too good to be true and they're calling you a soulmate within the first three months before they even know your middle name, where you grew up, run, Mm. run. And you can tell also if you start to set boundaries, let's say you don't text them back right away. See what happens. Do they respect that space? If you tell them you want to take it slow, do they respect that space or do they do it more or do they get angry or do they just completely ghost you altogether and never speak to you again. So you 
you want to test those things in the beginning because those are signs that you would see early on in a narcissistic relationship. In a relationship, you'll see things like gaslighting, like I talked about, where you could accuse them of cheating. And then before you know it, they have you defending yourself as to why you're not crazy because you went into their phone to check. Before you know it, the whole topic is is lost on you because now you're apologizing for something you don't even know why. Your whole reality is warped because they have they have really done a good job of making you think you can't trust your own judgment, which is a really scary place to be. So coercive abuse or this kind of covert narcissism, they're very charming to everybody outside. Everybody really loves them. They tend to be in more successful positions, higher level. They are, every, everyone loves them. And then behind closed doors, mm. they're horribly abusive. And so it's very confusing for that person. They think maybe it's just them. They tend to be very confident then. They give off a very, uh, yes, a very significant vibe of, of confidence, charming, funny, life of the party, um, you know, very helpful. A lot of times, a lot, very philanthropic. Um, they just present themselves very, very well. So then it must be really hard, especially in the early stages when you start dating somebody to, um, and then also like, what's the difference between somebody that's maybe just really full of themselves and those people Mm -hmm. are out there too, where they perhaps don't mean to be harmful, but they want everything their way. Maybe there's the only child syndrome, not always, but sometimes, you know, maybe they don't like to admit they're wrong about anything and, um, yeah, maybe they're just a little bit kind of closed off from like if somebody gets hurt or somebody's feelings yep. are hurt, but they want to get their own way on something. Sure. How do we differentiate? Yeah. So the way you really differentiate is the function of the behavior. So a narcissist, somebody with true narcissistic personality disorder, there's a couple of things. One, it's not just going to be in one relationship with their romantic partner. It's gonna be pervasive in all domains of their life. And part of that means putting on this facade of, of being very charming. Their narcissistic personality disorder is, is, the, is the way they see the entire world around them, like through that lens. So it's not gonna be episodic relationships. So as somebody who's full of themselves, they may be full of themselves in certain situations, but not others. And narcissists, their primary goal is to gain access and control to your emotions. They, it's all about control and manipulating you to gain control and access to you. Somebody who's full of themselves doesn't necessarily have that motive of attempting to control you. They may want their own way, mm. but they're not going to gaslight you and manipulate you and um, abuse you to be able to control you so they can get their own way. Mm. Um, you know, and the, the other thing too, to keep in mind is that a lot of times people who, who are, let's say, self, you know, full of themselves or selfish or whatever, and they, somebody brings their patterns to their awareness, exactly like you said, they don't want to hurt the person. They don't mean to cause harm. It's a pattern and it's probably an unhealthy one. So they can, they have insight and awareness. Narcissists, you bring that to their attention. Not only do they not care, They'll deny it and they know they do it and it doesn't matter and they're not going to change it. And there's no empathy. They don't care that they're harming you to gain access and control over you. 
Boy, oh boy. Yeah. I read somewhere online this sentence, it jumped out at me. Toxic people, for the most part, are narcissists. You're shaking your head there. You don't agree with that yeah, statement. No. no, because toxic patterns can look very different. So, for example, perfectionism. Okay. Perfectionism is a toxic pattern. Perfectionism causes people to procrastinate. It causes people to have low self-esteem. It causes people to have a, have a ton of anxiety, fear of failure. That's a toxic pattern. Any pattern that's toxic mm-hmm. interferes with your daily functioning. So toxic, I don't like saying toxic people, people more so have toxic patterns, right? Mm-hmm. So toxic patterns, we all have them, right? To some extent, it's the degree to which it interferes with our functioning. Mm. And it's the degree of the awareness that we have of our patterns. The less awareness you have of the the detrimental patterns you have on yourself and of others, the more likely it is you're going into more of that personality disorder realm because it it lacks that, that awareness component to it. Jealousy must be a big one as well especially in relationships. <laughs> Jealousy, very, yeah. very, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. So we've kind of talked about the, some of the traits to look out for and then something I, when I was researching you and I sort of picked up on it was it's also about how the person is made to feel, right? So being misunderstood or worthless or disrespected. So narcissists, people with narcissist personalities that are routinely are very bad at receiving any type of constructive criticism. They take it as a personal attack and a personal failure anytime they feel rejected. And remember, their perception of rejection is very skewed. It's like a scab when the scab comes with the air hits it, right? It's very raw. So they will perceive the slightest things as rejection. Um, and they will either, you know, attack, mm. cut you out, give you the silent treatment, you know, make you feel really small. So there's a lot of things that they'll do, but they're very hypersensitive to anything that could be potentially viewed as an attack on them. Mm. Well, as we we're focusing again on romantic relationships, I kind of want to explore this a bit further in like chronological order. So you meet somebody new, you hit it off. We've talked about some of the red flags early on in dating, but maybe there's a bit of gut and intuition that you have to rely on here as well. Mm-hmm. Whether are they are, yes. are they charming, and is this all too good to be true? Or maybe they mm-hmm. are part of that one percent. Mm-hmm. What about in online dating as well? Like, are there any specific mm-hmm. red flags here we could be looking out for? Maybe an abundance of selfies. Um, yeah, no, that's a really good question. Online dating makes it a little bit trickier because it's very easy for a narcissist to put up a very nice, calming, attractive profile, mm-hmm. right? They really can manipulate that. So it, it's actually very easy for narcissists on online dating to attract a lot of people um, because they can really craft how they want the world to perceive them. It gives them a platform to do that. Whereas, you know, face-to-face automatically, it's a little bit more difficult. But online dating, social media is, is like a playground for narcissists. It's very easy for them to create an image that they want. Mm. I mean, even for everyday people who just go on and post things, I mean, I rarely have I posted a picture that I didn't crop. I don't put pictures of me with like, you know, coffee spilled all over my shirt and my kids screaming and (laughs) fighting with each other and me yelling. I mean, I don't post that, right? So 
Maybe I should, but you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to just put out the image that you want on social media. So I think that it definitely becomes uh, harder to differentiate online mm. for sure. I think initially you wouldn't realize, but I think what happens is if you notice and then you know what to look for, that you're, you find yourself getting really personal in conversations really fast. You're talking about, for example, like your sister passed away when you were really young and it really, you know, change your family dynamics. And so your mom left and your dad, you know, began drinking and you start to really talk about these things that you really wouldn't talk about so deeply in the beginning, but they make you feel so comfortable and so okay being vulnerable. And they'll even say something like, I totally understand. I went through something similar when they didn't Mm -hmm. just to make you feel like you can connect with them. So you you can look for things like that. If it if it feels like it's moving too fast and it doesn't feel organic, and I always say, you know, if it has that Disney quality about it, right. where you know two people they meet, you know, and I, I which just, so many people dream of, don't they? They want the fairy tale. Oh my gosh! Let me tell you. So when Frozen came out, <laughs> I have a son and two daughters. My middle and my youngest are both girls, and they were watching Frozen. And in one scene, it's the princess's sister. She meets the prince and she says that they would, it goes to her sister and says, we're going to get married. They just met that day. And, you know, and, and it's like, I'm watching this and I'm like, God, that is so dangerous. That is such a dangerous message to be giving children. And so then I started thinking about all these Disney, you know, cartoons I grew up with and, yeah. and it's all about, you know, the prince at midnight and falling in love and it's every time. So we grow up thinking that the most romantic love from the very beginning is the best love when in fact it's not, it should be organic. It should feel a little, dare I say, boring, right? It should feel like it's growing. And I don't mean boring, like you're, the person's boring, but just it, it should take time. Now, that's not to say that you're not going to be like, really into it in the beginning and really want to see each other. Mm-hmm. But there's a sense of boundary that you have where even though you really want to see this person again, and maybe you go out the next night because you had such a good time, it's going to be weird to you if they say, okay, I, I, I see us moving in in a month together. I mean, it's too fast. And so it's different for everyone, but you really want to keep in mind that if it's that fairy tale thing that's happening, chances are it's not healthy. And it may not necessarily be narcissists, but it's still not healthy. Mm. And so you want to be very mindful of that. Mm, I can imagine that will resonate with quite a lot of people. Sure. So let's move a little bit further down in terms of like you've been dating for a while, maybe you you committed because things have moved fast. I mean, it sounds quite exhausting putting myself in the position of the narcissist to keep up the facade of Prince Charming. So like when do the cracks start to appear? Yes. So things like if you ask them about their previous girlfriends or ex-boyfriends, because I don't want to exclude women. Women are narcissists as well. Mm. How do they speak about them? Are they always the victim? You know, are the exes always crazy? And so you want to start to pay attention to this stuff. The mask starts to fall off once they know that they have you. Mm. And they'll test the water slowly, like seeing if they, if let's say you go out with friends for dinner and they say, oh, I don't feel good. I'm really sick. They're testing you. Is she going to go out with her friends still even though I'm sick? Because most people would say, unless they're like really not good and they need help, they're throwing it, whatever. Of course go out. Yeah. Of course go out. I'm sick. I can't go out. What am I going to do? Go have fun. And narcissist is going to use that to test you. And the thing is, is you'll never win. They set rules 
to make you fail. And then just when you think you figured it out, they change the rules again because it keeps you on your toes. It keeps you under their control. So if you go out, you just rejected them. And that's when it starts to show, well, you know, I can't believe you went out with your friends. Well, you told me to go out with your friends. Yeah, but you knew I was sick. So that kind of stuff starts to slowly happen. They start to slowly isolate you from family and friends. Like I said, I don't really like this person. So maybe you start not going out with them as much because you know your partner doesn't like them. Or they say, you're on the phone so much. So you stop contacting people as much because you don't want them to get mad at you. And they slowly start to do these things that before you know it, your world has become so socially isolated and your behaviors are so in response to walking on eggshells with them out of fear that you will make them angry. And occasionally, if you set a boundary, you stand up for yourself, what will happen is that love bombing stage will start to show up again, never the same in kind of little breadcrumbs, they're called here and there to suck you back in. So it creates this almost addictive cycle of dopamine spurt, I'm good. Dopamine spurt, I'm good. And it, it, it makes it really difficult to get out of because it's out of your control. Mm. It's uncertain and you never know what you're going to get. And when you're in that type of behavior pattern of never knowing what you're going to get, like gambling, for example, it becomes very toxic, very fast mm. and very hard to get out of. They're also scared. Mm. They get threatened if they leave. You know, I'm going to harm you. I'm going to harm your kids. I'm going to harm myself. I'm going to tell everybody, you know, everything that you've done. They'll have pictures of you, like, you know, personal, private pictures maybe that, that they have of you. They'll threaten to send them out. Everything they can do to keep you stuck. They'll tell you to quit your job. I'll take care of you. Don't worry. It's fine. I got you. And you're still in that love bombing phase and you're so excited about that. But then you realize that you now have no assets in your name. You have no income. You financially are being abused. You can't leave. You don't know passwords to your accounts. You don't know what you have where. Goodness. Yeah. And then in terms of like validation, I can't help but think maybe like let's social media do they seek a lot of validation online as much as perhaps in person? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of narcissists, they need that constant supply, right? Mm -hmm. They need that constant. It doesn't even have to be validation. It's they want to be the ones responsible for making you happy, making you cry, making you angry, being in your head. They want to be responsible for on your birthday, starting trouble so that on your birthday, you're thinking about them. They want to get inside your head and social media is an excellent way to do that, which is why you'll see after a narcissist kind of discards you, it's called, or breaks up with you, gives you the silent treatment, or you leave them. Two weeks later, they'll be all over social media with their new girlfriends, new boyfriends, happy as can be in the love bombing stage again. But they do that because it makes them look like the healthy one. Well, look at this great person. I can't believe they broke up. It must be her or it must be him. Not this person that's happy and healthy with this other person on social media right now. Mm. It's got to be the other person. They will. It's called a smear campaign. They will annihilate your character because they want to make sure that nobody believes you. So they try to frame you as crazy, frame you as a liar, frame you as unstable, as a bad parent, as a drug addict, what, whatever, so that nobody can possibly believe you. Is there a type of person that a narcissist is drawn towards? I've heard you talk mm -hmm. about people pleasers before. And, and mm -hmm. is there a certain type of person that is attracted to a narcissist? 
So I'll answer them separately. Okay. So as far as a narcissist goes, there's a misconception that narcissists tend to go for weak people, people that can't stick up for themselves. And that's not really true. Narcissists will, will go for anybody that falls for their stuff. They'll go for anyone they can charm. But they specifically, they really like going for people who are attractive, intelligent, successful, have money, because they get so much more supply, so much more fuel for bringing that person in power down. Mm. You know, it's like they were so, so um, important, let's say, in the community and, and you brought them down or they were married and you ruined their marriage. So they like to be able to have that control and, and they get more satisfaction from taking the ownership of, of ruining that person. Mm -hmm. And also they like the spotlight. They feel important when they're with someone successful or important or attractive. It makes them look better. So it's always what it does for them. Somebody who gravitates towards a narcissist typically would be somebody who has learned over time for whatever reason that it's selfish to put their own needs first. Maybe they were taught growing up that you know, your opinion doesn't matter. Your views don't matter. It's selfish to want to take care of yourself. You know, so you just were constantly putting everyone else before you. Or you had a, a family where you were shown more attention, more affection, more love if you pleased your parent with good grades. And if you didn't get good grades, you were worthless. I mean, there's so many variables at play, mm -hmm. but people pleasers find a familiarity, a comfort that's not healthy, but familiar with a narcissist because they're equipped to be able to put their own needs second. Mm. I'd imagine it's really hard if you're in a relationship with a narcissist to confront them, but perhaps somebody is listening to this and a lot of it is resonating, but they just, they love that person so much. They don't want to walk away is there a way to navigate having a relationship with a narcissist? Yeah. So this is a tough one because typically people who don't want to leave someone with narcissistic personalities that are, who say that they love them are experiencing what's called trauma bonding, which is where there's this kind of codependency in a way that they feel that, remember, because their reality is, has been torn down and shaped by the narcissist. So it's very scary to leave. Oftentimes they don't even know they're being abused because they, they don't know that they're in that because there's no objectivity available to them. Right. So to get out of this type of relationship, it's not like someone saying, he's an ass, you need to break up with him. That, nobody's seeing that. Because remember, on the outside, it looks great. Yeah. What I tell people when they come to see me is two things. Do you want me to help you stay in this relationship and figure out a way to exist in this? And I say exist, because you'll be existing, mm -hmm. not living. Or do you want me to help you get out? Because, you know, you can stay in a relationship with a narcissist as long as you don't ruffle feathers, you do what they want, when they want you, live the life they want you to live. Mm. But even then, when they realize that you're very compliant to this, it's not giving them any fuel anymore. So they change up the rules so that they can get an emotional response from you. They can see you confused. They can see you scared. So it's constantly, so I tell people, it, it's going to always be this way. Mm. I can help you deal with it internally, but as far as the relationship goes, this is the relationship. 
Yeah. Or you leave. Are there a lot of clients of yours that think I'm not going to get anybody better because they're so charming and good looking maybe and dress well or whatever? So at that point, when they think they're not going to get anyone better, it's because they've been fed a narrative for a very long time by the narcissistic partner that nobody else is going to love them like this person, that nobody else is going to, quote, put up with them except for this person, Mm -hmm. that you won't ever find anybody else. You're useless. You're worthless. You're stupid. I mean, all of these things, they they do it so that you really lose your self-esteem and feel like a shell of your former self. So you have no self-worth by the time you're out of this. Mm-hmm. So you you don't feel you can get somebody else. You you stay in this because you're scared. You you don't know how to function outside of this. Well what about like maybe if you've been single for a long time before you've gone into this relationship and mm-hmm. you're scared of going back to being single again. Is that a a factor. Yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it. But if you're coming out of a narcissistic abusive relationship, it's going to be more about having no sense of identity, not knowing who you are. You have been so controlled from the food you ate to what you wore to who you were allowed to talk to, where you were allowed to go, how much money you were allowed to spend. So it's not even about fear of being single. It's I would almost prefer that right? That may be from a toxic relationship, but a narcissistic abusive relationship, it's more of, I don't exist. Mm. I don't know who I am. And it's very scary to leave for, for more so that reason. And safety, fear of, of being harmed, the children being harmed. It's When you leave a narcissist, that leaving period is the most dangerous time for there to be some sort of violence. So you have to be very careful. And what is the first step then in, would you recommend, like if somebody is in this very unhealthy relationship with a a narcissist and they've they've recognized that they need to get out, what's step Mm -hmm. one? So first, they may find that they're very alone, that they haven't, they've been isolated from family and friends, or they have a very iffy relationship now, which was done on purpose. Find somebody you feel the safest with because I promise you that the people that you have cut off are scared and worried for you, the close people. They know something's not right. And so find somebody that you feel comfortable with, even if you haven't spoken to them, and use them because you need somebody objective outside of this dynamic to be able to be a voice of reason because it takes on average seven times for somebody to leave a narcissistic abusive relationship and it doesn't end well. It's a constant back and forth battle. You need somebody on the outside that, that can be objective, that can say, no, look, they're doing what they always do again. Don't fall for it. Don't text them back. Don't contact them. Mm-hmm. Um, the other is exactly like I said, no contact. If you can, you don't have children with them or whatever the case may be, you block them on absolutely everything. They will, without question, try to contact you because once you are on the narcissist radar as a significant other partner, you're always viewed as an object they own, even if they're not with you for 20 years. They still view you as an object that doesn't have their own emotions, opinions, feelings. And so they're your property. So you want to cut them off. If you can and it's safe and you're living with them, see if you can set aside money 
for yourself. Give it to somebody else if you don't feel safe, but just a little bit every now and then. So you have money should you leave to have access to some sort of funds. That's super important as well. I mean, we're part of a mental health app, the Happier Life Project. And over the past few years, people are definitely getting better about talking about their mental health. But Mm -hmm. not so much, I think, when it comes to relationships. Like you said, a lot of cases get undiagnosed, like um, narcissistic abuse. So Mm -hmm. it's got to take a lot of strength, hasn't it, to speak up, even if it is somebody that's a family member. Oh, God. Yeah, I say this all the time, that, that the patients that I work with who have left narcissistic abusive relationships are hands down the strongest people I have ever met. The amount of strength and resiliency that you need to have to be able to get out of this type of dynamic is is unbelievable. So one of the things that did come out of the pandemic that was very helpful for people in these types of relationships is when people, and it was my first concern when, when the lockdown happened here is, oh my God, how are they going to be in a house with them for this long? This is not good. Right. And it's true domestic violent rate, violence rates, substance abuse went through the roof. Yeah. And so um, what ended up happening was social media became an outlet and a lot of people started sharing their stories. And what ended up happening is people started realizing, oh, wait, that sounds just like mine because narcissistic abuse has such a distinct playbook. In their quest to be unique, they are extremely predictable mm. and it follows a very specific course. It doesn't matter who you are, where you're from, the behaviors look identical. And what was happening was people were being able to predict these patterns and see it in other people, which gave them this sense of empowerment, knowing, okay, well, this isn't me. This is actually a thing. Mm. It's a tremendous amount of strength. Mm. Is this what inspired you on your Instagram? You have a thing where you post shit narcissists say. So <laughs> this is yes. messages that you get sent that you post anonymously yes. uh, of people that share with you stuff that they've received from mm-hmm. narcissistic partners. Yeah. So I just started that. So the reason why I started that was um, I had a very dear friend who was going through a divorce um, with a, a very extreme narcissistic abusive partner and I would, she would you know send me the messages that he would, and, and it was easy for me to say okay this is exactly what I anticipated he would say this is what he's going to do and I realized you know not just from her but in general people would say you, you know you should use my story you have no idea and you know and, and to them it seems so crazy yet it's so identical to everybody else's and I was like you know what Everybody feels so alone that their story is so, and it's not to take away their experience, right. not to minimize it, but, but to empower them to realize like, this is a thing that has nothing to do with you. And they will do this with every single person they are with. And in their, like I said, in their quest to be manipulative and abusive, they are so predictable. And if you can predict it, you can control your responses to them. And it's so empowering. And so I was like, you know what? Let me just see what happens with this. So I had people send me a ton of screenshots and letters and messages, and they're identical. Wow. And so the whole point of the shit narcissists say was to, one, get out there how crazy making and how abusive these statements are, how just downright evil these statements are. Yeah. 
and also to show people that's exactly what they said to me. And so they're seeing all these and I'm getting so many messages. Oh my God, like yeah. I could have written this. And I wanted to do it to show people that you're not alone. You are so far from alone. And just when you think it's to the point where you can't get out and there's so much shame and so much guilt, especially when there's kids involved. And so I wanted people to not feel this shame and feel this guilt and to see that they're not alone and that we're going to start calling you out on this, mm. right? Like we're, it's, it's a way to take back their power. Yeah. I love that. And what about like moving on and maybe even breaking relationship habits or cycles? I would assume mm -hmm. that if you're somebody that has been in a toxic relationship, it might not be the first time or the last time. And the same with dating a narcissist. So uh, yeah, in terms of like moving on, um, mm -hmm. what, what advice do you have there? Not jumping into something new with somebody else is probably... Well, I mean, that applies to yeah. most relationship breakups, right? If you have been in a toxic relationship, right, and, and you get out of it now, a non-narcissistic toxic relationship, and you feel like I keep picking the same type of guy, I'm picking the same type of woman, like what is going on with me? You would want to get into therapy to really look at your patterns of behavior. Yes, where they come from and where they originated, but more so, okay, now that I know where they came from and why I do what I do, what now? Mm -hmm. And so I work with people a lot on the, the forward moving what now? How to identify them, what triggers them, and when they come up for you, what are some other options in the moment that you can take to change the course of this? Yes, it's gonna be brutally uncomfortable. Yes, it's gonna feel awkward. Yes, you're gonna go backwards, all of that, but at least you're, you're aware of it and now you can make changes to pick somebody that's healthier for you. Mm. And probably it's not the first time that it happens. With a narcissistic abusive relationship, you could have very healthy relationship patterns. Because remember in the beginning with a narcissist, if you don't know what to look for, you think you've hit the jackpot. Right. So you could have very healthy patterns and get into a relationship with a narcissist. But then when you come out on the other side, you are a different person. Mm. You know, people will say, I'm a shell of my former mm. self. I don't know anything about myself anymore. I don't know who I am. And so it's so critical at that point to get into therapy with somebody who understands narcissistic abuse, understands patterns of behavior and can help you navigate to a healthier place for yourself before you start seeking out other people, because then you're more at risk for kind of picking out patterns that are familiar to you, mm -hmm. not necessarily healthy, because mm. um, familiar, familiar is comfortable. Um, and we're, we're creatures of habit. So we do that. That's when you really need to, I tell people, just let's work on you for now. Right. Building up self-esteem, self-worth, all of that stuff, I'd imagine is, is crucial. As we start to wrap up the conversation, I ask every guest to set us some homework based on the theme of the episode. So in this case, Dr. Z, what is a simple, actionable thing that we can do if we can admit that we're in a toxic relationship or suffering from narcissistic abuse that will help us on our mm -hmm. journey towards building a happier, healthier life? Start recording things. Start writing down incidents that happen, arguments you have, times where you feel like your perception, like they're challenging your perception, you feel confused. And even if you don't believe it, even if you feel like you're going crazy, even if you have no idea what just happened and your head is spinning, start tracking it. Because what happens is 
when you start to track these behaviors, you start to see patterns and it's objective because it's outside of your head and it's on paper and you can't argue facts. And that's one of the ways that I tell people to kind of start to set their boundaries with narcissists is look at the facts. Narcissists will try to distort the facts with gaslighting. That's why I have people start tracking this stuff and writing this stuff down because it's easier to see themes. Mm. So if you're questioning whether or not you're in that type of relationships and you're listening to this and you're hearing this, start writing this stuff down safely. You know, I tell people to do it in their phone, the notes section, lock it, that kind of thing. Be aware of, of that that's very helpful. Maybe start to figure out who in your circle, and it could be someone from work, it doesn't have to be someone you're super close with, that you feel comfortable with, that you can start to bounce these things off of somebody objective outside of your, your immediate circle. Mm, that's a really, really great advice. I wanted to end the conversation on a positive and I my last question was <laughs> and it's such heavy stuff isn't it but it's really important to get sure. all this out there so thank you so much for your time I mean my last question was going to be can a narcissist change his or her spots sounds like probably not so maybe I should reframe the question to or just it's actually more of a new question is there light at the end of the tunnel Yes, there is. Yes, absolutely. It is scary. It feels like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There are people out there who can help you. You are far from alone. Even if you feel like you're alone, you're not. Um, there's resources on social media that just can even just educate you. Sometimes just hearing this stuff validates all the things you've been thinking but felt ashamed or guilty or even crazy thinking mm -hmm. use those resources obviously from you know somebody who, who mm -hmm. specializes in it um listen to other people's stories survivor stories of, of what they went through there is definitely light at the end of the tunnel nobody is ever stuck even though they feel that they are it's really important to keep that in mind the other thing too i just want to let people know is that if you leave and you go back and you leave again and you go back to look at it as a necessary kind of progression rather than I failed, I failed because it sometimes takes multiple times before you realize that you actually can do it. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, that's fine. To find more on you. I mean, you've just scratched the surface here. I know you've got your own podcast. It's me, Dr. Z, uh, which is available in all the usual podcast places. You've got two books out, Find Your Calm, a workbook to manage anxiety and Find Good Habits, a workbook for daily growth. Your website is www.drjamiezuckerman.com. <laughs> yes. And you are Z underscore psychologist on Instagram. Yes. Have I left anything out? I don't think so. That, that covered it. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you so much for being part of Relationship Month and, um, yeah, giving us some brilliant advice Thank you today. for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you again to Dr. Jamie Zuckerman for a really important and very enlightening conversation. And thank you to you for making it through another episode of the Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. Now, if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, today would be a really good day to do it. Next week, you don't want to miss our episode on sex and mental health with Kate Moyle, a world leading sex therapist. Now for the really important bit, if you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app, 
which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice. If you are listening on one of the podcast platforms and not on the app, the My Possible Self app is completely free to download, so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything. If you found this episode helpful and have time to leave us a review, that would be amazing. And to find and follow us on social media, we are at My Possible Self and I've been at Radio Gabby. So until the next one, do take care and bye for now. <laughs>